Shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Joshua Wall walks in, got the Major Junior. This is Logan Stankoven. I play for the Camels Blazers. Hey, it's Matt Potter from the Guelph Storm. This is Axler LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Nathai Gauthier. I play for the Quebec Ramparts. Hey, guys. This is Ty Nelson from the North Day Battalion, and this is the Pipeline Show. NCAA. This is Ryan McAllister for the Western Michigan Broncos. This is Wyatt Kaiser from Minnesota Duluth. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. The NHL Draft. This is Adam Fantilli of the University of Michigan. This is Ryan Leonard. I play for Team USA. I'm Nate Danielson of the Brandon Lee Kings. My name is Adam Guyam. I'm playing for Chippewa Field. Hi, I'm Grayson Sochin. I'm with the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, this is Jacob Fowler, goaltender for the Youngstown Phantoms. I'm Connor Bedard for the Regina Pats, and this is the Pipeline Show. And more. Brandon! This is the Pipeline Show. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Pipeline Show. My name is Guy Flaming. I'm really happy that you are tuning in this week, whether you downloaded this episode to listen as a podcast, or maybe you're driving around doing some last-minute Christmas shopping. That would make it Saturday, and you're listening to Edmonton Sports Talk. Or it's Monday, and it's Christmas Day. I don't actually even know if uh, Edmonton Sports Talk is uh, doing a regular programming on Christmas Day or not. But wherever and however you're tuning into this week's episode, welcome. The program is brought to you by the best beef jerky known to mankind. Of course, I'm referring to Wilhawk Beef Jerky. W-I-L-H-A-U-K beefjerky.com. That's where you go. If you want to place an order online and have it shipped to you, if you're in Western Canada, you can do that. If you're in the Edmonton area, then why don't you just go out to Leduc or Spruce Grove or the kiosk in West Edmonton Mall and pick up some beef jerky. You can do it. Still have it in time for Christmas. Let them know that the Pipeline Show sent you. This will probably be the last episode of 2023 with live guests, or at least guests that I've uh, had conversations with this week. There is one more weekend before the calendar flips to 2024. I believe I'm going to be putting, I'm leaning towards putting together a sort of a best of show. I'm based in Edmonton, so it might be Best of the Edmonton Oil Kings, where I'll get I'll pull out some uh, archived interviews with uh, some big-name former Edmonton Oil Kings and uh, present that as a best-of show. Because I'm here in Edmonton, maybe it will be Edmonton Oilers. Guys on their roster right now who were on the Pipeline show back when they were in junior or college. I have a couple of options like that, so we'll see. But that's probably what I'm going to do next week. This week, though, I have three guests for you. I'll tell you who will... Be joining me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. We'll do that after the news and notes, but let's get to that. This week, the roster for the CHL Top Prospects game was announced. 40 players across the three major junior hockey leagues in Canada. The Western Hockey League, the Ontario Hockey League, and now the Quebec Maritimes Junior Hockey League. Still the queue. 40 guys will be headed to Moncton this year. And it is a veritable who's who of a draft eligible players. A couple of guys that I would have liked to have uh, seen. I'm sure everybody can say that about players that they're more familiar with than some of the guys who are on the team. For me, it'll be like Mikhail Marcus, who plays for the Lethbridge Hurricanes. There are four goaltenders here. Uh, one of them is a guy who was eligible last season in Lucas Mateka. Plays for Tri-City, but he was playing overseas. Now he's here. 
Uh, he is invited to this. If you're going to have an overage guy or a guy who's been through the draft once, I guess I would have leaned towards Harrison Menegan, also in Lethbridge, but I understand it as well. The other three goaltenders, by the way, Dawson Cowan from Spokane, who is an 05, but he's a late 05, missed last year's draft by about a week. Interesting goaltender. He's big, six foot three. doesn't have great stats. He's playing on the Spokane Chiefs, a team that, you know, outside of the playoff picture right now, that's going to be a good team in the next couple of years, but not yet. But an interesting goaltender to see at an event like this. Uh, the other two are both out of the OHL in Ryerson Leanders, who sounds like he's potentially going to be the first goaltender taken in the 2024 NHL draft. Carter George also given a B rating, as was Leanders, uh, by NHL Central Scouting. He plays for the Owen Sound Attack. When it comes to defensemen, it's a really good year for blue liners uh, for the draft. Sam Dickinson from London, Charlie Ellick from the Brandon Wheat Kings, Henry Muse, also a guest here on the Pipeline Show. He's with the Ottawa 67s. Zane Parekh from Saginaw. Carter Yakimchuk from the Calgary Hitmen. It's a really good group of defensemen. And I skipped over a bunch of names, too. And then when it comes to forwards, man, it's, a, it's again, a really good year for the WHL. Uh, but here's some of the uh, the names that jump out off the page. Uh, and it kind of goes alphabetically. Andrew Basha, who was just here on the Pipeline Show, what, about a week ago? With the Medicine Hat Tigers. His teammate, Caden Lindstrom, who was on the program about a month ago, arguably will be the first player taken out of the WHL this year. If not him, potentially Berkeley Catton, who has been sort of that guy for the last couple of years. He plays for Spokane. Max Kern of the Tri-City Americans. Tanner Howe, who's a terrific player with the Regina Pats. He was on the program last week. Atij Aginla, who he is uh, shooting the lights out this season with the Kelowna Rockets. His draft stock might be soaring Right now, more than anybody else's in the Western Hockey League. Really intriguing player there. Uh, the Edmonton Oil Kings are represented by Adam Yeko, who is currently on the shelf but should be returning into action here uh, shortly after the Christmas break. Rookie Tarek Parasak of the Prince George Cougars, who for a good chunk of the season was leading the league in scoring. And then you got Ryder Ritchie from the Prince Albert Raiders. And Carson Wetch, another guy who's been on the program already this year. He plays for the Calgary Hitmen. So a really good crop of WHL talent again. And I didn't even mention some of the other uh, forwards like Maxime Massé from the Shikudemi Saganin or Beckett Seneca of the Oshawa Generals. Lots of talent once again uh, for the Canadian Hockey League when it comes to the NHL draft. Speaking of the CHL, this week's top 10 going into the Christmas break sees Bay Camo still number one. The Prince George Cougars are in the number two spot, followed by the Sioux Greyhounds the Kitchener Rangers, the Saginaw Spirit, the Saskatoon Blades, the Royal Noranda Huskies, the Moncton Wildcats, Halifax Mooseheads, and the Drummondville Voltageur enter the top 10 in that final position. How about a quick look at the leading scorers in uh, the three CHL leagues? Beginning in the Quebec Major... I've already blown it. Beginning in the Quebec Maritimes Junior Hockey League, which sees Matthew Cataford from the Halifax Mooseheads with 51 points. That's one more than both Justin Gill from Baycomo and Sherbrooke Phoenix forward Israel Mianscom, who both have 50 points. Antonin Vero from the Huskies of Rowan Noranda has 47. So does Jordan Dume of the Halifax Mooseheads, who's now off to the World Junior Championship with Canada. The difference there is Dume has only played 21 games. Everybody else has played more than 30. So the fact that he's only four points out of the scoring lead 
really shouldn't be a surprise at this point because all Dume does is produce. Meanwhile, in the OHL, it's the same story. We've been talking about this trio of Kitchener Rangers. Seems like for a month or a month and a half that they've been leading the way in the scoring race. That would be Carson Rakoff, who has 55 points, including 31 goals. Hunter Brustevich, the defenseman, also 55 points. And Matthew Sopp has 53 points. Those three guys having a monster season, each of them, for the Kitchener Rangers. Anthony Romani has 51 points. He plays for North Bay. And David Goyette of the Sudbury Wolves has 48 Back to the WHL, and it's a couple of Prince George Cougars. It's kind of similar to uh, the OHL, where it's one team that's got a bunch of guys at the top. I guess the Halifax Mooseheads are doing it sort of in the queue as well. But it's Zach Funk and Riley Height with 63 points each who are uh, ahead in the scoring race in the WHL. Funk has 36 goals. Man, he is on fire. In third place is Gabe Clausen of the Portland Winterhawks with 58 points. Jagger Furcus of the Moose Jaw Warriors has 56 points. He's got 27 goals. And then it's Trevor Wong from the Saskatoon Blades with 54 points. Igor Sidorov, he's 10th overall in scoring, but he's second in terms of goals. He's got 32 goals this year for the Saskatoon Blades. Now Zach Funk, Igor Sidorov, and a Jagger Furcus. Caden Lindstrom notably as well as a draft-eligible player. He's got 27 goals. I think he does it a little bit differently than uh, Funk and Sidorov and Furkus, where those guys are snipers. Lindstrom is just a beast around the net. And I don't, I don't want to make that sound like I'm taking something away from him. He just plays the, the game in a different style than those guys. Hey, let's shift gears uh, below the border and uh, go to the USHL. The top scorers sees a Swede in Eric Paulson leading the way with 32 points. Austin Bernovic plays for Madison. He's got 31 Paulson's teammate is Jack Sondriel. He's got 31 points. Both of those guys with the Dubuque Fighting Saints. Matt V. Greeden of Muskegon is right there as well. He's got 30. And uh, the Colonel, John Mustard, is tied with two other players. He plays for Waterloo. J.J. Wisebush of uh, Sioux Falls has 28 points. And Gavin Thorison, uh, from also from Waterloo. Those three guys tied for fifth in scoring with 28 points. Three of the top five scorers in the North American Hockey League are not American. Max Martin, though, does lead the way, and he is an American. Plays for the Wisconsin Windigo. He's got 50 points. That's a six-point cushion over a six-in-year no-show of the Northeast Generals, the Swede, who's been near the top of the scoring race all season long. Then American Tyler Graham also plays for Wisconsin. He's got 40 points. Then it's Charles Edward Tardiff of the Maine Nordiques with 39 and Matteo DiCipio from Rochester with 38. Those are your five leading scorers in the null. And we will talk a lot about the NCAA in today's show. So the top five scorers in college hockey, it actually is going to be the top seven because there is a tie. But uh, Canadians well represented here again. Massimo Rizzo, who's from BC, plays for the University of Denver. He's got 31 points. His teammate is Jack Devine, not Canadian, but he's got 28 points uh, for the Pioneers. Then Lucas Sillinger, who plays at Arizona State, he is Canadian. That is uh, Owen's little brother and Cole's older brother. Both of those guys, members of the Columbus Blue Jackets organization, and uh, Lucas Sillinger, would it be a shock to see him being signed by Columbus at the end of the season? He's got 26 points, third in college scoring. Then it's a four-way tie between Canadians Macklin Celebrini of Boston University, Luke Granger from Western University, also Canadian, and two Americans in Gabe Perot from Boston College, and draft-eligible defenseman Zeev Bouillam, 
also from the Denver Pioneers, all of those guys with 25 points. Hey, do you know Pro Stock Hockey has a new loyalty program? You can earn rewards on every purchase and be amongst the first to learn about new inventory. You can redeem those points to offset the amount in future purchases. Go to ProStockHockey.com slash rewards. And by looking at their Twitter timeline, Pro Stock Hockey has new sticks from the Ottawa Senators in stock and a lot more. Check out their website. That's ProStockHockey.com. The guest list, which of course is brought to you by our friends at Troubled Monk out of Red Deer, where you can get my personal favorite, the Daycation Lager, or some of their classics like the Pesky Pig or the Golden Gates, the Open Road American Brown Ale, or how about if you're a hard iced tea fan, try the Troubled Tea. You'll love it. The guest list this week starts with Stephen Ellis from Daily Faceoff, previewing the upcoming 2024 World Junior Championship. That's over in Sweden. He was on hand for both Canada's camp and the camp for USA Hockey, so has thoughts on the rosters for both of those teams. Plus, we get an overview of uh, the rest of the tournament as well. Funny, we, we recorded that segment earlier in the week. In fact, it was the day that Matthew Poitra was returned to Hockey Canada by the Boston Bruins, and DJ Smith was fired by the Ottawa Senators. All happened during our interview. <laughs> so Stephen was... Double-checking things and breaking news here on the Pipeline Show. Of course, that segment was available to patrons earlier this week. But uh, for the rest of you, take note that that one was about five days ago. But a terrific table setter for the World Junior Championship. From there, we go to Michael Menzies, who's the uh, regular voice of the Bonneville Pontiacs. But last week, he was in Nova Scotia as the voice of the World Junior A Challenge which people could watch at HN Live. And what an intriguing tournament that was. Really underrated tournament, in my opinion, and a dramatic the way it turned out. The United States going into the event, heavy, heavy favorites, and coming away with a bronze. Why? Because they were upset by Canada West in the uh, semifinal, a team that finished fourth out of five teams in the round robin. So a real upset. Or was it? Maybe Canada West just took them that long to come together as a team. We'll ask Michael for his take on what happened in Nova Scotia. And we will end it this week with Brad Elliott Schlossman from the Grand Forks Herald and The Rink Live. As I mentioned, of course, we're talking college hockey with Brad. I set it up to him by saying I want to get somebody on who can tell me sort of what's been the surprises this year. Or what, the, what are the takeaways? Which teams and players and just stories have sort of emerged over the first half of the season? And we had lots to talk about with Brad. So we've got an absolutely loaded show. We're starting with Stephen Ellis getting set for the 2024 World Junior Championship. That's next. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Stutzler, back to Sider, across to Bach. Dominic Bach, great pass in for Stutzler. Slides it back across, they score! Hello, this is Tim Stutzler from Mannheim, and this is the Pipeline Show. Trevor is lonely. Yeah. So Trevor threw a big party and served salad. Nobody came. Mike is also lonely. Yeah, it sucks, man. So Mike threw a big party and served Will Hawk beef jerky. Go Will Hawk! Go Will Hawk! Everybody came! Will Hawk beef jerky. Because you don't win friends with salad. Will Hawk!
walk is the home of Alberta's best beef jerky. In Leduc, Spruce Grove, and West Edmonton Mall. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Hot damn! Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. And, of course, the uh, 2024 World Junior Championship is starting up here in uh, just, uh, well, less than a week now. Uh, so we got to uh, look ahead and uh, see what we should be expecting from the, the nations that uh, we expect usually to hear from and some of the players this year that are going to be the guys to keep an eye on as well. And to help us do that, it's Stephen Ellis from Daily Faceoff. Uh, Stephen, welcome back to the program. How are things for you? I'm doing good. I can't complain. Best time of the hockey year. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, and uh, Yeah, it is. It's always exciting. This tournament is uh, something that uh, I think most even casual NHL fans that don't even care about junior hockey, they'll still watch this just because it's so exciting uh, and the hockey. It, it never lets anybody down. So let's get your expectations uh, for this year's tournament. Maybe we'll start with Canada. I know you were at the uh, practices for both Canada and uh, for the United States. I guess we'll start with the roster itself for Canada. And any big surprises for you after having seen the camp in person? Well, you know, if you asked me before camp who the biggest surprise would be when you look at who didn't make it at the end, I would yeah. have said Jagger Furkus. But honestly, I thought that was a really weak camp from him. Um, we got to see him in a little mini scrimmage that it was hard to really judge anything. But then they had the two games and he just honestly, some, I forgot what number he was mm. Yeah, heading into the second game. He was kind of just not there. I know like when if you looked at who they would probably bring as that extra forward had Matthew Patra not joined, he would have been the guy that I think would have got the call up just given how well he's played this year in the WHL. But uh, I just thought he didn't have a great showing. But in terms of who did look good, uh, Denver Barkey not making the team was a surprise to me. He was one of the standout players. I know Coach Alan Latang had a lot of great things to say about him during camp. And just a ball of energy, just kind of did a whole lot of everything. And so just for him to not make the team, I thought it was a little surprising. But I, I think you look at the roster and everyone's got an argument for why they're there. So it's it's maybe not as crazy as, let's say, like James Haggins not making the United States mm. type thing. Okay, well, we'll get to the U.S. in a second. Um, I think you just gave me some news that I hadn't heard yet. Did you say Matthew Poitras is now with Team Canada? He was loaned out a few hours ago, yep. Uh, so he'll be joining the team in Sweden uh, Monday night, and sh- I believe is going to be in their first exhibition game against uh, Denmark. All right, very well. Well, that to me was a bit of a surprise. I thought both uh, the Buffalo Sabres with Zach Benson and, and Boston with uh, Matthew Poitras said that they those guys weren't going anywhere. So this takes me by a bit of a surprise. I will point out, though, when you look at uh, – I, I don't know what number he's going to be wearing in this, but it was interesting when you look at the roster and who was available uh, and which numbers were taken. And, and 14 was Pacho's number with the, the Guelph Storm, and 9 was Zach Benson at the Wild. But one number that wasn't taken was 11, Adam Fantilli's number. And that was interesting because Jordan Demay wears number 11 and in Halifax and also wore that number through camp. And then he chose 22. So there were some conspiracy theories that ah. maybe it was going to be Fantilli. But since then – uh, Boone Jenner and Patrick Line getting hurt probably meant that that was going to be impossible. All right, excellent. Well, I'm glad we were brought up to speed. Thank you for the uh, the breaking news there as well uh, with Matthew Potter. And I guess right away when you're looking at okay, who's going to be the players who are really going to lead this year's Canadian roster? I think everybody would gravitate to Macklin Celebrini, but you get a guy now with NHL experience in Matthew Poitras, and you have to think he's going to be one of those guys as well. Yeah, and you know, it's funny, because when you look at this Canadian team and all the talent they had, and especially down the middle, and it was almost at a point where 
wait, who, who do you actually put down the middle? Mm-hmm. I wonder now if Potwell is the guy who's going to be setting up Celebrini in this, and if maybe I go with those two and let's say Matt Wood, who could bring the size and the and the the shot, and all of a sudden you got a super dangerous line, and you maybe could do geeky and and guys like that. But with Potwell being there, that's a huge bonus. A guy who last year put up 79 assists, had a career season, has way past exceeded expectations, and no one saw him going to be coming a, a full-time NHL player this year and we're seeing obviously the success he's having in Boston and it was became clear kind of last week he was probably going to be the guy that was loaned out when he wasn't playing every single night but mm. uh, I think that this is a huge addition to a team that at one point was looking like they were going to have no active NHLers outside of Tristan Leno. Overall what do you make of Canada's uh, forward group just sticking with the forwards you, it's, it looks to me pretty impressive from an offensive standpoint there's a lot of guys who can score here. Yeah, a lot of guys who could score, but I think the huge the identity for this team is just how hardworking they are. Guys like Easton Cowan had a you know he showed at camp that he's going to be working his butt out there. Owen Allard, a huge guy that or a huge huge camp from him who no one really saw happening. Yeah. very good defensive uh, player, very good speed, things like that. So I, I think that this is a team that will be working hard and shouldn't have a problem scoring. Owen Allard is definitely the guy that I know the least of. Uh, from this Canadian roster. What sort of a role do you envision him taking on here for Canada? He'll be a bottom six player, uh, and uh, for sure. Uh, he'll be kind of the guy that brings that energy, plays really good defensive hockey, uh, and, and just you know smart plays. This is someone who, talking to scouts, a lot of people thought would maybe be the... Uh, maybe a guy that could be a re-entry player who hasn't been drafted in the past who could go out there and, and maybe impress enough scouts at this tournament because you know his numbers aren't mind-blowing by any means of the Greyhounds, but all of a sudden uh, he's you know really put himself on the map the last couple of weeks. So that's interesting, as is uh, Ottawa News, where they just fired their coach, the Ottawa Senators. Oh, wow. I hadn't heard that either. So DJ Smith out. Yeah, DJ Smith, and it's going to be Jacques Martin returning. <laughs> Wow, it's old as new again. All right. No kidding. Perfect. Man, you're breaking all the news here for us, Stephen. I, I I get the sense I'm going to have to let you go pretty quick here. So No, no all good, all good. Someone else is candling it. i just like, whoa, that's that's news. All right, perfect. Uh, all right, let's go to the blue line. And uh, again, another guy with some NHL experience in Tristan Luno, And I know Denton Matejchuk is probably going to be expected to be one of the, uh, if not the leader uh, from the blue line core. Uh, again, overall, what's your uh, overview of Canada's blue line? They're going to be difficult to play with or play against. Um, you know, Noah Warren, six foot five, Maverick Lamoureux, six foot seven. And talking to Fraser Minton, he specifically said those two guys are two of the hardest players he had to play against in camp. So there's that. Uh, Matejchuk, obviously, look at all the points. It's a shame that the last game he played before entering camp, he didn't get a point. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, oh well, he's pretty good. Um, in terms of uh, in terms of kind of beyond that, I think Tanner Molendyk getting hurt uh, heading into camp put him at a disadvantage, but he played so well in that final game that made it difficult to, for a guy like Ty Nelson to go in there and play a very similar role as a you know a power play quarterback offensive guy. So that's big. And I thought Oliver Bonk had a really show, a solid camp. You know, nothing flashy about his game, just solid, smart defensive hockey, and that's what he really showed. So they've kind of got a mix of everything on this blue line where they could have gone for the all-attack, all-the-time uh, thing and bring Ty Nelson, but they, they wanted to round this group out kind of like the United States, and I think that's going to be very important to watch. I, I would argue Canada defense has been you know a hit or miss in terms of how that the quality is year to year i think this year is a pretty solid group yeah i like it as well and i think uh, for those casual nhl fans who don't watch junior hockey i think they're going to be impressed with molendyke i think uh, this might be the breakout event for him where 
uh, he starts to get a lot of name recognition from the non-prospect media out there uh, like you and I are already. The uh, goaltending was, for me, a bit of a question mark. And I know Scott Ratzleff uh, played really well in the, the games against the uh, CIA or the U-Sport teams, rather. Um, what do you make of the three goaltenders that uh, are going to be there? And do you expect everybody to play, or are they going to go with one guy? Is it a, some sort of a platoon? What are your expectations there? It's funny. I've asked kind of people following this team closely what their thoughts are and everyone gives me a different answer um so there's that i think if you're going with a guy who's been the hot hand mathis rousseau has been really good uh this year in halifax you know the team in front of him is pretty good but sure. he's done a lot of the heavy lifting too his, his numbers don't lie there smaller goalie we've seen what can happen when you throw in a guy like devin levi at this tournament but it's kind of more you know the bigger goalies kind of still reign supreme here um I, I do think that that just the, the season he's had will give him a bit of a run uh, there. Uh, Scott Ratzloff was to me the most impressive goalie in camp. Just looks strong, solid the net. Uh, the last time I got to see him was at the in person was at the Buffalo Prospect Tournament. He was really good there too. So uh, not a huge guy there, but the only NHL drafted prospect and one that I think. The Hockey Canada loves. They they saw what he did with the Helenka Gretzky a couple of years ago for one of the best performances we've seen in that tournament in recent history. Granted, he played on a stack team that won gold, but still looks pretty good. Um, it, beyond that, I think with Samuel St. Hilaire going out there and getting that third spot was quite interesting because, you know, he's someone who only started playing junior hockey last year. Boston Bruins bombed a development camp. I'm not I was a little surprised to see his name on the camp roster, but he played well enough in those two games against U Sports. So if I'm guessing, Russo gets a start, Ratzloff going to get a couple starts there, and then uh, St. Hilaire will be the third goalie. But with three pre-tournament games, it will definitely be interesting to see how they handle that uh, load there. Now, most people I've spoken with, Stephen, uh, don't have Canada as a gold medal favorite, maybe not even a favorite to get into the the final game. Are you in that camp, or what do you, what do you think of Canada's uh, chances here? I think, you know, people were saying Sweden's the better team than Canada. I, I don't agree there. You know, you look at the, the you've already got a bunch of guys who played in the NHL in Canada. Uh, I'd argue their goaltending is on par and the defense may be better in Canada. So uh, I'm thinking Canada, USA are the two teams to beat. Americans are, I think, the clear favorite right now. But this Canadian team might be one of the most hardest working blue collar groups that we've seen in a long time. It's not going to be a team just dominated by skill. And I think, you know, talking to some scouts at the USA camp and they're like, yeah, Americans are the favorites, but we can't write off Canada. This is a team that sure. just is going to be difficult to play against. All right. Well, you were at both uh, camps for Canada and the United States. Stephen Ellis, by my, by the way, my guest here from uh, daily Faceoff. Um, let's uh, jump into the U S roster. Now they're going, well, maybe we'll go the opposite direction. We'll start in net. Uh, Trey Augustine and Jacob Fowler, are the two guys I expect will get starts and, I, I really do think that it's probably a platoon thing uh, for them. Sam Hildebrandt is the third guy. Um, but do you have a, a favorite to be the number one starter here for, for the United States? Well, first off, do you know Sam Hildebrandt's story to get to this point? No. So I got a story come up in Daily Faceoff, but he was an interesting guy where last year he was playing junior C hockey. And for him to be at this World Junior team is a pretty big deal. Yeah. So uh, he was he was Barry signed him. They were looking to have him just get starts. So they brought sent him down to the Stainer Siskins, a team uh, with a population area of around four thousand. The arena could fit about two hundred. Okay. Uh, so not not a big team. Six, or not a big area. Sixty-one teams play in that league, and he was one of the best goalies last year. Has look looking really good this year. So you know that's a cool story to see him be the American third goalie. Uh, in terms of who the starting goalie is, it's it's tough. Augustine's the guy who was the number one last year, and you know this year he hasn't shown or any reason to believe he won't be again. 
except that Jacob Fowler's been the better goalie in the NCAA. He's been the hot hand, and it's not like one goalie's got the USA Hockey Connection and the other doesn't. Yeah, you know, the U.S. National Development Team, that's where Augustine played the last couple of years, but Jacob Fowler was the goalie for the World Junior A Challenge last year, and he was one of the best goalies we've ever seen at that tournament, like, you know, rivaling what we saw from Askarov a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something you can't ignore. Plus, he was really good at the World Junior Summer Showcase. They didn't get to do any exhibition games like Canada did, but from the scrimmages I saw, you know, Fowler looked good, as did Augustine. I think it's really a, a, a dice roll to see what happens. I think the one issue for this group is on paper, they're expected to probably roll over in their group. And, you know, the Czechs and Slovakia will put up a good fight. But they're not having to do what Canada's doing and go against Sweden and Finland. So I think that's a bit more of an interesting situation there. Um, but, yeah, I think with the, if I'm picking right now, it's Augustine just from the pedigree. But Fowler deserves as many starts if – and I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up becoming the starting goalie. Yeah, I, I'm right with you. Okay, uh, with the blue line, uh, some interesting names for sure. I don't know that it has the necessarily the uh, name brand recognition that casual fans would recognize, but, I mean, a guy like Zeev Booyam's having a fantastic year at, at Denver and helping his draft stock. Everybody else is drafted uh, from their blue line. What do you make of this group overall? Yeah, well, obviously, Lane, Z- uh, Lane Hudson's kind of the guy everyone's keeping an eye on. He sure. dominated at the World Junior Summer Showcase, and everything he's done in college has been highly publicized. Seamus Casey does a lot of the same stuff for the University of Michigan and, and hits. He's a very physical player. I love watching him play in person. Uh, Ryan Chesley from the Washington Capitals prospect. I think he'll be more of the, you know, st- not the stay at home, but he'll be the the guy that if he's paired with Lane Hudson like he was at, in camp, will be more of the guy who could shut things down, play the better defensive game. Zeev Booyam, I, I can't say enough good things about him. Someone that some scouts think could be top 10. I'm thinking still maybe closer to 15, but the things he's doing with the University of Denver is very impressive. And Coach David Carl coaches him in the in college, so he understands kind of what he brings to the table. One guy I'll, I'll mention, though, is someone to keep an eye on is Eric Polkamp, the San Jose Sharks prospect. You know, last year, World Junior A Challenge, good showing there goes gets drafted and it was probably one of usa's better defensemen at the the world junior summer showcase and i think that alone kind of earned him a spot on this roster where there was some good defensive depth to go around uh and i think he outplayed a few of the guys out there so he'd be someone that maybe as the fifth or sixth defenseman could turn some heads not very big overall as a group sam renzel at six four and and drew Forescue at six uh, two but everybody else is six or under it, could that be an issue for the u.s I don't think so, mainly because on the bigger ice, you just you see hitting to be a lot less prevalent here. Okay. Um, I think that the, the speed and skill of that blue line should help them out. All right. Now let's look at this forward group, and it's uh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's so deep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this this is a team, the forwards should carry them to success against anybody, really, and even pair them up against, uh, against Canada. And I, I still like the Americans' uh, forward group better than Canada's, despite how good I like Canada's. What's your takeaway when you uh, watched the U.S. and when you just look at these names on uh, on the roster sheet? I feel like not enough people in hockey prospects talk about how good Cutter Gochi is. Like he's an he's got the size, he's got the skill, he's smart, he's good defensively, he does everything. He was really good at this tournament last year. He was one of USA's best players at the World Championship, which I know a lot of people write that tournament off. I don't. And watching him play, like I, I don't remember an American junior player doing what he did last year at that tournament. Like it was unbelievable. I think it was like seven goals in ten games en route to a to a fourth place finish. But just what an effort 
he puts out. And you're, you're going to probably pair him with uh, Jimmy Snuggerud, a guy who was on this team last year, having a bit of a slower season at the University of Minnesota, but still a valuable piece of this team. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Rucker McGrody getting injured. He looked as good as anybody did in that training camp for somebody who had a non-contact jersey. And then you got that all that that all lineup of um, from Boston guys, which is uh, Ryan Leonard, Will Smith, and Gabriel Perot. Like ridiculous what they've done at the international level uh, with the U.S. U18 team in the past. Now they're going to go and do this on the World Junior team. That's just scary. And I think right now it's almost looking like Oliver Moore might be the 13th forward on this team, and he might be the fastest player in this tournament. <laughs> so. A group that just going to be rolling four forward lines and looking good every single night. All right. So you said they're your gold medal favorites. They are for me as well. Um, so we'll leave that at that. Uh, you said Canada, you like them better than the Swedes. A lot of people I've spoken with, that would be the other team that they think is, you know, if they were going to put a pecking order, USA and, and then Sweden for them. I don't know if you've seen the Swedes. Uh, what do you make of this group? Well, I've been able to follow this group close. They played at the U, at the World Junior Summer Showcase, and then they had the Five Nations Tournament last month. And I think the thing about this group is, again, depth is going to be huge for them. Uh, goaltending, a bit of a mystery, I think. Hugo Havlid is the, the coach's son. He's probably the best goalie they got. He's the only undrafted goalie of the three. He's also five foot ten, and sometimes that uh, becomes a problem, as we've seen internationally. Uh, on defense, I think that's a really strong group where there's no superstar standout guy. But they're all very capable defenders. Axel Sandin Pelica, Tom Wielander, Matthias Havla looked really good in the summer, Anton Johansson. So they got some good picks there. But up front is where it gets really exciting. You're looking at the Lickaramakis, the the Olgrins, the Oslins. Like those guys have all played together last year in Digger Garden. So they know how to play and, and generate offense. But then you're getting a lot of these guys that played on the U18 uh, um, national team the last two years at the World Under 18 Championship where they finished gold and then got a silver so a lot of talent here uh one of the big key pieces here is like how is philip eistad gonna play i know hit or miss sometimes in the shl but was sweden's best player at the world junior summer showcase david edstrom a great two-way player otto stenberg we saw what he was able to do at the u18s last year so this is a group that is going to be flying on all cylinders it's just i almost always hesitate picking sweden to do really well because we've just seen year after year it's difficult for them. Yeah, it seems like it's a hard uh, event for Sweden to to perform at their uh, up to their potential. And I don't know if playing at home is a it should be a helpful thing to have you the support of the home crowd. But I don't know. Maybe it's too much too much pressure. I don't know. We'll see. But you're right. Historically, it's been tough to pick them because they've uh, they've uh, failed more often than they've succeeded. Uh, beyond Sweden and uh, the U.S. and Canada, who's next for you? Oh, you know, I, I got to go with the Czechs. Uh, I, I like the uh, – I, I think that this team is going to be maybe as good as last year. I'm not sure if better, but the Czechs, they showed last year that, yeah, you know, Yuri Kulich and guys like that could stand up there. Sabo Velov's having a good year in the OHL. Uh, what else? Edward Schala, the mm-hmm. Seattle prospect's looking good too. They got a good goalie who I am a little concerned about though, and that is Michael Rabel, who – uh, as good of a goalie as he is, has fallen apart in these international tournaments in the past at the U18 level. Uh, so I'm a little concerned there, but uh, they're going to be a, a tough team to play against. They don't have the physical size they did last year, but they're still looking at an average height of 6'1", a couple of decently sized defensemen who know how to hit, and they're mobile. So uh, a good group here. Uh, Adam Yurchuk will be someone I'm keeping an eye on there. Obviously, the uh, the uh, top one of the top defensive prospects for 2024 and the brother of David Yurchuk. So 
I think that this group learned some lessons last year. Uh, yeah, not maybe not as good, but a lot of these guys will be eligible to return uh, for another tournament, which could be helpful. Uh, I also like uh, Slovakia and uh, their group. Uh, of course, Adam Guyan was the breakout performer from last year's uh, tournament, but they've got a lot of drafted forwards. This, is, this could be an exciting tournament for Slovakia. Yeah, especially when you look at Dvorsky, the way he's playing this year in the OHL. Samuel mm-hmm. Honzek, a uh, guy who... This is his third tournament. Hopefully he stays healthy this time. It's been kind of a difficult road for him there. Uh, we know Adam Sakura is not afraid to hit anybody out there. Maxime Sturbeck's probably going to be the top defenseman. No Simon Nemec. This is not Slovakia at their full strength, but the one thing they do have is three very capable goalies. Adam Gayon, we know he could do what he could do. Samuel Urban was very good at the U18s, one of the biggest reasons why Slovakia got to that bronze medal game and forced overtime against Canada. And, and Rostislav Eliash, a guy that I know the Leafs have been interested in. They brought him to, to development camp twice. He's got good size, and he's got a good history of Slovakia. So um, this is a a lot of these guys were the ones that we saw at the Linka Gretzky a couple years ago uh, when they were on a tear going up against Russia. It's kind of like the, the end of the line for some of these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I like this group. I, I think that Slovakia is kind of my dark horse to get a medal here. And we can't end the conversation without mentioning uh, the Finns. Finland, you can never count out as well. It seems to be a pesky bunch that often plays over their heads and exceeds expectations could this be another one of those years i don't know (laughs) i don't know it's kind of like with this team i kind of wrote my preview and i'm like it's a a group again that's that's going to be missing joachim kamel that hurts uh and then topi roni's got unfortunately his his legal issues there so uh, aaron kivy being hurt doesn't help either so this is not a team of full strength Mm -hmm. but i do think that this is another group kind of like canada that's going to be working really hard one guy i'll kind of mention as a a guy you really need to keep an eye on is Oiva Keskinen, the Columbus Blue Jackets prospect. It was drafted in the seventh round. You know, looks pretty good against you know junior players, but it was interesting to see how he would transition to the pro game. And he's on pace for thirty points this year, about like a point five point per game um, uh, rating this year, which is pretty good in the uh, for a guy that was drafted in the seventh round, one hundred ninety fourth overall last year. I think in terms of guys who could stand out, Annie Nyman, the 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 Seattle prospect, Laney Hemanheo. New Jersey Devils prospect was great in the summer. Uh, I'm a little concerned on who's going to, you know, like Nicholas Coco is probably the starting goalie, but I don't know if I trust any of those three guys to get the job done. Uh, so I think goaltending will be a very important part here, especially against the Swedes in Canada. So the Finns are a pesky team that just find ways to do well. Constant Hellenius, Emil Hemming, two 2024 prospects that should play big roles for this team. I did like what I saw from them last month at the, the five nations, but now that everyone's at full strength, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Well, and lastly, we didn't mention Germany, Latvia, Norway, and Switzerland, and I don't think we're expecting any of those countries to medal or be much of a factor, but are there individuals on any of those four teams that we're looking at, either because they're drafted already or draft eligible this year? Well, Julian Lutz, uh, out of uh, the Buffalo, or the uh, Arizona Coyotes prospect, you know, a very uh, solid uh, prospect that's having a good year in the USHL. I think he'll be really key. But if all those teams, the one that I think is going to surprise a lot of people is Norway, the team that just came up. And that's because they have a huge chunk of players that were eligible to play at this tournament last year, Division 1A, that won gold. And I think that now having Michael Branzeg Nigard, who's one of the top uh, prospects out of Europe this year, having him 
probably playing a big role is a big deal. It, you know, it runs deep. They've got some good size on this team. Um, uh, on the blue line, to a point, they're a very quick team. There's a couple five foot seven, five foot nine guys, and you can tell that. But they do go out there and produce. The goaltending's not too bad. Uh, I think that for them, speed is going to be where they come into the into the question here. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if they surprise some people here, especially, you know, they're going to be playing against Switzerland, a team that I don't think looks that good at all and are going to really have to, you know, hunker down and play strong defensive hockey if they're going to make this work. But keep an eye on Norway. All right, we'll do that. And this should be a fun event as always. And uh, now I feel much more prepared uh, to watch it. Uh, Steven, as always, man, I really appreciate your time. What do you got coming up at Daily Faceoff between now and the start of the tournament? Oh, a lot. Uh, we've got a lot of got a lot of uh, stories. Usually about two to three features a day, kind of leading up to the tournament. Some some player stuff, some some team breakdowns. Got breakdowns of every single team, and then of course when the tournament happens, if anyone's kind of followed me the last couple of years and seen the drawings I do to to highlight the goals, yes. so that, that that's coming back. All right. Uh, so that that's happening. So uh, again, best time of the hockey season. Outstanding, Stephen. I really appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much. There's Stephen Ellis uh, from Daily Faceoff with a, an advanced look at the upcoming World Junior Championship. Starts obviously on Boxing Day this year over in Sweden. It got to the point in this tournament where it was kind of a five-team event where if it wasn't Canada or the U.S. or Russia or Sweden or Finland, everybody else was an afterthought. But Russia hasn't been there for a bit. Obviously, we know why. And teams like the Czech Republic and Slovakia are starting to get better again. And it makes the event a little bit more intriguing. And this year, I do really think the U the U.S. has the best team, but like we just saw at the World Junior A Challenge, the best team doesn't always win. We'll get to that in the next segment. But the Swedes are at home. Canada always is expecting to win gold. I do like the Czechs. I, I actually like Slovakia more than the Czechs this year. There could be some great stories as well that kind of uh, develop over the course of the tournament. That's It's one of the things I really like about the event. And that all starts on Boxing Day. Thanks to Steven for that terrific preview. All right, I mentioned the World Junior A Challenge. That's where we're going next. And a guy who was there, not just covering the event, but calling some of the games. His name is Michael Menzies. He's the uh, voice of the Bonneville Pontiacs. And he's got to look back at what he saw firsthand. That's next, here on the Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Second round pick of the Colorado Avalanche. Over to Gutman, to Savoy, and he's got a hat trick. Start throwing the hats. Give up the $24 hat, throw it on the ice for Carter Savoy. This is Carter Savoy from the Sherrod Park Crusaders, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goal. He scores. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious me. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Hey, everybody. An old man's talking. 
back on the Pipeline Show with E. Flaming. And not only was the uh, is the World Junior Championship coming up, the U-20s, but the World Junior A Challenge just wrapped up. And uh, my next guest was on hand uh, calling a bunch of the games, uh, Michael Menzies, voice of the Bonneville Pontiacs. But for this event, he was the voice uh, with HN Live uh, that was out in Truro, Nova Scotia. Michael, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, uh, fantastic, and much appreciated to uh, to have me on. I appreciate the invitation. Well, I'm glad to track you down because I was really looking for somebody that has spent some time there in person. I know you weren't there for the final game, but uh, the entire event up to that. So you're the right guy uh, to get onto the show. Because this, this really seems like it was a tournament, two tournaments in one, where the round robin went one way, the way a lot of people expected, including me. The medal round? Not so much. Uh, what's your takeaway from uh, what you saw out in Truro? Well, it, it's exactly that, is that the United States in the first half was dominant. Dominant. I mean, we watched these games, and I was there for the, you know, uh, from the round robin up to, and then did the semis. Um, and he's through the round robin. I'm looking around thinking, no one's going to beat this team. Yep. Like, for line one to four... So deep, uh, their D was fantastic. Like seven NHL draft picks on the U.S. team, and then Trevor Connolly, who's going to be a first rounder, depending where he falls and all that. Mm-hmm. So you had some elite skill. You had just well-rounded, great um, complementary pieces. The USHL, I mean, uh, they're doing uh, great stuff down there because it's a league that a lot of players want to play in, uh, whether American or Canadian, we're seeing more and more often. Um, and everyone's thinking, oh, geez, you know, this is uh, looks like they're going to win it walking away. But then, you know, it's a five-team tournament. We only eliminate one in Canada West. They turn it on. And I know that there was there were some illnesses that took some time for them also to just gel considering you know how one league heavy it was and maybe you know there's a lot of rivals with rivalries within that league but i mean they uh they did what they had to do in that in that semi-final which was get fantastic goaltending and be opportunistic and when they got their chances they buried so it was um the shocker uh i think no one you know just talking to people in and around the building and seeing it's like okay well We'll get this over with, and we'll see, you know, rematch Can East and U.S. from the last one. We'll see what East can do. Um, but it was just one of those great drama-filled international games, that semifinal. That's what we all enjoy about the U-20 to be coming up. Um, and we had a moment like that on that Saturday night, for sure. Well, just for the audience's benefit, who maybe they didn't pay super close attention to the World Junior A Challenge. The United States goes 4-0 in the round robin, uh, and Canada East was 3-0-1. The Swedes were also there. They were 2-0-2. Uh, and, uh, the, and, and Canada West squeaks through just because they beat the last place team, Slovakia. But then the U.S. and Canada meet in the semifinals. It goes to overtime. It's a thriller, and uh, Canada wins it in that overtime. And then they, they absolutely smoke Canada East in the gold medal game. So it really was two tournaments completely separate. It had to have been a shock. Do you think it was over-conference for the U.S., or was it more Canada West, what you described, just finally coming together as a team and and exerting their will? Well, I think part of it is that it's the third time that they had played. You know, the pre-tournament game was Canada West and the United States. Okay. 
And then they obviously everyone plays each other in the round robin, it being a five-team tournament. So it is the third time you're getting to see a team. I don't think necessarily the United States was, um, you know, too confident because I think in the in the round robin game, I thought West did the best job of any of the opponents defensively and playing them like there's so much speed that that u.s team was able to create their top line with uh, trevor Connolly, max watson and james reader um so dynamic the way they move pucks but then lines two to four were no slouches either Caden shahan i mean he scored some snipes joe connor as well but they just didn't get off the united states didn't get off to a great start in that game and one thing that was happening to west in the round robin games they were getting down early they were chasing these games a time and time again, and the U.S. didn't have a uh, didn't have to battle much adversity really through the tournament before that point. I mean, Canada East in the last round robin game against the United States came back twice. It was two two midway through the game, and then their offense exploded, which happens so often for the U.S. Uh, in the tournament. It might be you know, one score in one minute and then a completely different complexion three or four minutes later. So I don't think overconfidence. I think just ultimately West played the type of style they had to, and they got fantastic goaltending from Eric Roost, who shut the door. You know, um, the U.S., they always had to chase that game, but they're going to be shaking their heads. They missed. They missed some chances. They missed some open nets. And... They had a four-on-three power play in overtime. West took a too many men on the ice call, and how many times? Four-on-three power plays. Yeah. I'm not. I would love to see what the percentages are because it's almost automatic. When we see it at the top levels, it's just it's such a dagger. Roos comes across, makes some saves. Even the minute or two after that, it's continuous pressure in Canada West zone. But they found a way, and then, and, and I think also for the U.S., they were a little too tentative in the overtime before that. And I know it's three on three. You, you know, you always worry about setting off the chain reaction of chances by initially going for that big rush, maybe to try a two on one, knowing if you don't get it, it's going to be a rush back the other way, and then it, you know, all all, all hell breaks loose, sort of thing. So, you know. I, I just think West played the, the game that they needed to play. The U.S. Uh, didn't get the goaltending ultimately that they needed. And sure enough, that was all West needed because the gold medal game was completely one-sided. And Dawson Labrie in Canada's goal, who had it was the goalie of the tournament until the gold medal game, and he mm. just capitulated. Unfortunately for East, I think they just ran out of steam. Uh, yeah, really surprised to see the uh, the final score there in that gold medal game, seven to two, at Canada West. We started this conversation off uh, with glowing praise for the USHL uh, and just how how productive and how when it comes to player development, that league in the United States is. I mean, it's clearly the best league in the United States for getting guys off to the NCAA. They have the advantage because it is the only tier one league in that country, and and. They're not regionally exclusive. It's very different than the system we have in Canada. The fact Canada wins this, uh, Canada West wins this with basically a team AJHL. What was it? Three guys who weren't from the AJ. Yeah. Uh, what does that say about the quality of the AJ? Well, I think the AJHL. You know, if if you look at it, and I mean, there, this was all the whisperings going on, like, 
Oh boy, all the chips were kind of pushed into the AJHL and look how it's going so far midway through the tournament, people. And West, look at it. If you look at the gold medal winners in the World Junior A Challenge, and also if for, for people who aren't familiar, start paying attention to this tournament. This tournament is a really, really good tournament. And I know it may not have, you know, you hear the words Junior A yep. and you might think it's a, it's a rung below, but you know, Sweden, the team that they're starting to bring every year, is it's a, it's a U18 team. There was nobody other than 06s and 07s. And then the year following, that's a set. Sweden's team this year at the World Juniors, the under-20s, is essentially the team uh, last year right. from the World Junior A Challenge, you know. Um, and so just to loop back to your point about the AJHL, you know, with, with BC out of this picture – you know, the AJ is going to bear a lot of the load. And certainly it's the league I'm most familiar with calling games in Bonneville. I know a lot of these players. And I, I think it speaks well to, to what they're doing. You know, I, like anyone who follows the league closely, um, I I had my, oh, this guy got picked over this guy or, you know, a couple choices all turned out right in the end. But I think you also have to give a uh, shout Matthew Van Blaircom. Uh, he scores two big goals, um, not only in the gold medal game, then he scores also in the semifinal against the U.S. when he was paired um, with uh, Logan Sawyer and Ty Mason. That line really started to click. Head coach uh, Barney of the uh, Humble Broncos in the SJHL, I thought he did a great job making adjustments, trying to find the right chemistry with his group. Overall, Ronan Buckberger, steps in and uh, Nathan Brown, the, uh, the one addition uh, from the MJHL. I mean, it, they, they added nice complimentary pieces, but you know, six Brooks bandits, that was a record for them uh, individually. And, you know, Brooks, you know, three consecutive centennial cups. Um, <laughs> people, people are aware of that program, but yep. you know, five short park, three Okotoks Oilers, um, a pair of black bulls, bulldogs, a pair of Camrose Kodiaks, you know, there, there's a lot of young talent in the league. And although this year, I would say overall about the AJHL, there isn't quite the same top-end elite talent. I don't think there's an Aiden Fink in the league this year. I don't think there's a Matteo Giampa. But Logan Sawyer is certainly going to be an NHL draft pick. And there might be some guys in the, uh, you know, sixth or seventh round that get, uh, that get snapped up as well. So, you know, the AJHL... Um, they are, uh, I would prob. Uh, I mean, I would say, I mean, I think you'd have to say it with, with, with Brooks in there and the likes of uh, Okotoks year by year that they are kind of the crown jewel of the CJHL overall and, and are until uh, proven otherwise, but I know the Collingwood blues might want a word about that or, mm-hmm. um, you know, some others that are enjoying great seasons, uh, across the, the various junior A leagues in Canada. I know my expectations coming into this year's World Junior A Challenge was that the U.S. would win and probably going away, and then the argument would be, okay, should Canada be sending two teams? Why not just build one team? Basically, that's what the U.S. is able to do with the USHL. The result being that it's Canada East and West in the final, does that maybe poo-poo that whole theory? Is, is this just evidence that they're doing it? They're doing just fine the way they are and keep uh, an East and West team? Well, I think it's it, it's a good conversation to have because it it was a thought that 
you know, in, inside of our production uh, crew that was there, mm-hmm. um, that that we were having individually is like, is this going to be the way it goes? And you know, I, I guess that just boils down to this is tournament hockey, right? And so you got to arrive at the right time, otherwise you're not going to be successful in the end. Um, the lack of BCHL uh, does weaken Canada West over time, but then they win their first gold in six years. But in Canada East, you know, if you look at, they were probably the, you know, them or Slovakia would be quote unquote, the least skilled heading into the tournament. But Billy McQuigan had those, those guys believing right from jump. They, they looked right away, like one of the most connected teams. They knew what they were doing. And if they take, you know, some overagers like uh, like Andy Reese to a fantastic tournament, Trevor Hoskin, Dylan Edwards, um, you know, and the goaltending that they got, then, you know, it's back-to-back silvers for them. And, you know, historically, East, n- not a ton of different medals. They've never won gold at the tournament, but I thought this would have been a great chance for them there. You know, what I think long-term is going to be interesting, not just for this tournament, but all, is... What's going to happen with Russia? Yeah. Because Russia at this tournament was, uh, in, in 2019, one gold, the only gold winner besides the United States and Canada West. And in the years preceding that, we're bringing some players. I remember the tournament in Bonneville in 2018, yep. Vasily Pekolzin, um, Askarov between the pipes, um, Ilya Nikkei, like Svechnikov in 2016. Klim Kostin in 2016 as well. Yes, yes, exactly. So, you know, um, they they bring good prospects as well. So, yeah, I I I hope the tournament actually, you know, I think Canada proves it's worth. Kate, stick with West and East, but I'd like to see it get back to six teams and kind of do a bit more of, you know, two pools and then some crossover and mm-hmm. and kind of do it that way so that we get you know, maybe a wider representation and other, you know, I thought it was great to see Slovakia there. Slovakia is only, it's only the second time they've been to this tournament. And we know more casual hockey fans know about Slovakian hockey. Obviously what happened at the Olympics, with Slavkovsky and Nemec going one and two, another first rounder there. And that is a proud hockey country. And my interactions with Martin Dendis, their head coach were, were nothing but, you know, glowing. They're they're the size of Alberta, and to see them competing at this level is fantastic. I think we get lost in all this. You know, Sweden is not that big a country either, mm-hmm. but they bring a team of U18s and an o and an 07 and Anton Frendel, who uh, it'll be very interesting to see how high he goes in the 2025 draft. You know, and talking with Craig Button, you know nothing but glowing we, we could be looking at a top five pick that they brought there and you know he was no slouch so i mean it, it's a great tournament overall and i think um it gets lost in the shuffle and under the radar but when we've seen the likes of you know mccars and spechnikovs and tourists historically brandon Brieson for the u.s mm-hmm. and on and on as the years have gone along it deserves uh some more attention i think people you know, if you're a hockey fan, if you like junior and you like international hockey, that semifinal Canada East or Canada West rather in the United States proves why you do because it had all the drama of what we love 
about the U-20s with the World Juniors. Yeah, I agree completely. Michael Menzies, the voice of the Bonneville Pontiacs, my guest here, and maybe we'll end it with a look at the uh, the Pontiacs and the AJ in general. I, I think you get a break now. You can put your feet up a bit uh, until you get back at it after Christmas uh, with the Pontiacs. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but uh, what's the uh, the season been like so far for Bonneville? I know it's uh, from the outside looking in, it seems like it's been kind of hot and cold. What's your take? Well, yeah, very hot and very cold at times, you know. I think it's been an interesting season overall because I look at the recent results and I think, what is going on with this group? I mean, they should be doing better. And then they have that, that hot part of maybe, you know, 12, 14 games in the middle part of the season, which I think if you look at them on paper where they should be more consistently. I mean, they, they beat Brooks at home, which they seem to do quite often, to be honest. It's, uh, you know, in their last uh, seven head-to-head against Brooks, they've won uh, they've won three of them. Um, but overall, I mean, they, they've beaten the likes of Sherwood Park. They've beaten Okotoks. But then they'll just they'll lose to Olds like they did on Friday. They've lost to Canmore three times this year. They've lost to Drain Valley twice. Um, it's a team that, Seemingly, um, you know, I, I would love to know their like possession metrics because having watched their games, they have the puck a lot and they're a low conversion rate on, on scoring chances type of thing. But this team probably should be better than where it's at currently. But they, if you're not going to bury your chances and you're going to make crucial mistakes, then you deserve to be where you're at. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think they need to collect it. Um, what I've enjoyed, you didn't ask me this, but I'll, I'll just chime in with it. What I've enjoyed is how the, the schedule has, has changed so that everybody plays everybody evenly. Right. Um, now that has created more travel and it's a bit more stress on everybody. And I think, you know, to get on my soapbox, I would like to see fewer games than the two that was added. I think we can drop games. We, you know, we're only eliminating two teams at the end of 62 games. Yeah. Let's figure out a different way there. But I do think it makes the league much more connected to have everybody play each other evenly. And I, and then that gives, uh, you know, uh, observers like myself and others to really get, you know, a, a fair read on, on who these guys are down in, in Okotoks more consistently, or you just feel more, um, you know, in tune with, with what's going on across the league. I think we get into silos a little bit with how it was with the North and the South. And, and as, as a North team, I don't mind seeing some South teams have to travel because they they were all so compacted together, all right. two and a half hour trips all the time. Whereas, you know, with Grand Prairie in the league for Bonneville, that's a six and a half, seven hour trip. So yeah, let's all share the pain a little bit. Um, and let's have a, I think a stronger league uh, because of it, but it's been, it's been a hot button issue. I think it's probably more likely to be a one-off than not, but I'm enjoying the uniqueness of this season uh, because of it. And it's going to be fascinating then what happens in the playoff picture if we do get, let's say, uh, it won't happen, but if Fort McMurray played Canmore, the travel, what what does that mean? Or or if we get some wide distances, or I think if we looked, I think it was on December 9th or 10th, it was going to work out anyway. Bonneville was going to play Lloyd in like a 7-10. Uh, Canmore and Camrose was going to, everyone that was sort of tightly, uh, if you looked at the map, 
not that far away would have paired up together anyway. Right. So we'll see where it goes, but it'll be a mad dash now with just, uh, you know, two full months to go and then back to the playoff grind. Well, and one thing I've noticed is parity in the AJHL is is pretty solid, in, at least in the middle. You, you got the top teams and you got the bottom teams, but there's a middle there. You go from about 5th to 10th or 5th to 12th, and there's only like 8 or 10 points separating all those teams. So it's going to get competitive, and it's going to be tight races, playoff uh, races, right down to the end of the regular season, and that makes things more exciting. Yeah, definitely. I think so. And, I mean, that's uh, that's why I think, you know, longer term, you know, maybe, maybe we eliminate, maybe we, we try to have legitimate, you know, playoff races in terms of make or don't make, and maybe go to only 12 make it. We have a different buy structure. You know, I don't claim to be the, the, the smartest guy or, or to, uh, I was told there'd be no math heading into this, but <laughs> you know, uh, but maybe we have to get out some, some calculators and figure things out just how structurally it would all work. But you know, for for the teams that are in the middle, yeah, it is kind of a race for seeding, and you just want to have your team right at the right time. Um, but you know, you got to take care of business uh, down the stretch here because this is January is often when teams kind of make their move. And I, you know, coming out of the break for Bonneville, they'll have about two weeks off almost, and um, you know, they need to get themselves right because they've been sliding uh, a little bit here. They've got the horses to do it, but you know, you just got to be ready to go. So we'll see. We'll see how it all transpires. Michael, this has been terrific. I hope you don't mind if I call you again. Oh, anytime. Much appreciated. Thanks so much for having me on the show. His name was Michael Menzies. He's the voice of the Bonneville Pontiacs and was also calling games for HN Live out in Nova Scotia for the World Junior A Challenge. First time guest on the Pipeline Show. Definitely will not be the last time uh, that I have Michael on. That was uh, terrific. I really enjoyed the conversation. Knows his stuff and a great recap of what we saw at the World Junior A Challenge. What a turn of events, though, isn't it? I mean, Canada West, fourth out of five teams after the round robin, come away with a gold medal. And Canada East, who finished the round robin second, they finished second with a silver medal. The United States coming away with a bronze after being heavily favored uh, going into the event. I guess the old cliche is true, and that's why they play the games, because you just never know what's going to happen. And that's kind of how I feel about our next segment, because as I'm speaking with you right now and recording this, I don't know who my next segment is with, so let's enjoy this quick message from a sponsor. We'll come back and we'll see what we've got. You're listening to The Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Hi, I'm Quentin Musty from the Sudbury Wolves. For David going into the near circle, trailing Musty high slot. Let's it fly, he scores! Quentin Musty, second of the game, a 2 nothing Wolves. And welcome to The Pipeline Show. Kings are Edmonton's first choice for family fun. Your Edmonton Oil Kings are back in the thick of it, taking the WHL by storm. And you can be right there cheering them on. Great family entertainment starts at just $20 a seat, or never miss a game with season seats as low as $9 per game. Thrilling Western Hockey League action, amazing theme nights, and special price kids' food combos at every home game for $10 or less. The entertainment value is king-sized. Secure your seat for the next action-packed, exciting Oil Kings home game today at oilkings.ca. 
You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Hey, as they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. Last segment on this week's episode of the Pipeline Show, and actually, it's probably the last segment for 2023 here on the Pipeline Show. I don't think I'm going to have one next week. Maybe it'll be a best of or something like that. But it'll be the uh, this will be the last one with an actual guest uh, for this year on the Pipeline Show. All right, and we're going to do that. It's going to be an NCAA campus report, of course, those brought to us by our friends at College Hockey, Inc. If you have questions about uh, what you can and can't do to maintain your eligibility, uh, get in contact with Mike Snee or everyone, anyone else over at College Hockey, Inc., and they can answer any questions that you might have. All right, my next guest uh, covers the, well, not just the uh, North Dakota uh, Fighting Hawks, but uh, the NCHC and NCAA hockey in general. That, of course, means Brad Elliott Schlossman is back on the Pipeline Show. Uh, Brad, how are things? Uh, I'm doing well, Guy. It's uh, been a quick first half. I can't believe it's already uh, mid-season here. What's made it go quickly in uh, in your mind? Yeah, that's a good question. I, it just feels like uh, we're just starting to get to know some of the teams. Maybe that's part of it. There's some uh, turnover among key players, and you feel like you're just mm-hmm. starting to gather what all these teams are at this point, and boom, it's it's midseason. And you're like, man, I feel like I'm just kind of starting to figure out the, the makeup of some of these teams and, and what defines them as far as positives and negatives. And, right. um, and we're, we're already getting, you know, to, to the midpoint of the year. All right. Well, the the reason I called you, I wanted to have sort of a what's caught your attention to this point of the college hockey season sort of segment. And you were on with me as a preview for the NCHC at the start of the year. We'll talk about the the, the league. Uh, and first off, we should mention the uh, the breaking news here this week. The NCHC has announced uh, a change in the playoff format, uh, which will begin, you were telling me, in 2026. But there's even some tinkering before that. Maybe you bring my audience up to speed on what's happening there. Yeah, there's some shifting within the league. So this year it's kind of going to be a normal year in 23-24. Next season, next fall, Arizona State comes into the league. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the NCHC becomes a nine-team league. All nine teams will make the league playoffs. And the only change will be the eight and nine seeds will have a play-in game to play the number one seed. They will play at the site of the one seed a couple days before the quarterfinals to see who gets to play that game. So that, that is a, a, a mini change, I would say, for the 24-25 season. And then 25-26, uh, they will no longer play the semifinals in championship game at the XL Energy Center, which they've been doing. Instead, they will be following a trend that's been going across college hockey since the great realignment of 2013-14. And that is uh, playing at home sites. And, it, you know, it used to be where every league, uh, they, they would start their tournaments at home sites with uh, the better seed hosting. And then when it got to the semifinals and championship game, they would play that at a neutral site. And that is what the NCHC currently does with the X. Well, uh, it started with the CCHA, which at the time was the WCHA. Right. In 2017, they first abandoned their uh, in neutral site and went to home site. The next year, the Big Ten did the same thing. Big Ten was greatly struggling with attendance. Um, last season, Atlantic Hockey shifted theirs to entirely home sites, and now the NCHC will be next. That leaves the ECAC and Hockey East as the only two that play neutral sites 
uh, in the semis and championship games. So a big change that has occurred over the last several years here uh, as far as league tournaments are concerned. What is the argument in favor of having neutral sites? I think uh, in favor of the neutral sites is in a lot of these former tournaments, it used to be just a wonderful event where you would have fans of all teams go to a neutral site and have this um, kind of a big, uh, I don't know, festival of uh, fans from across the conference getting together, watching the best teams in their league that year. And a lot of fans would make that as, uh, an appointment viewing every year and go every year, no matter who was in it. As the leagues fractured and they maybe weren't so geographically centered around certain places, that became tougher to do. And you started seeing attendance problems. And I think um, a lot of administrators and coaches looked at that and said, look, these are some of our biggest games of the year. They should be played with packed houses and fans going crazy, and if they're not, that is problematic. And when you look at the NCHC, uh, and you know they, they have a, a handful of teams within driving distance of the XL Energy Center, but they also have you know half the league is not. And Arizona State, you're just adding another team. So what mm-hmm. happens one year if the championship game is Western Michigan against Arizona State? You are going to have, what, 2,000 people there? It's not going to be a great atmosphere. And I think they don't want that type of a situation to occur. And they're kind of heading it off um, before it does. And uh, like the hockey East, they can do it. You know, like almost every team is what within two hours of Boston. Right. So it doesn't matter the makeup of the tournament fans can get there. Um, But for, for uh, out West and some of these leagues, it's a challenge. So um, here comes the new format. It's worked great in the CCHA and the big 10 for sure. Well, outside of uh, having a, the advantage of, if you're a higher seed, having the advantage of playing a lower seed, or like mm-hmm. if you're a one, you're playing against the eight, now it also means that home ice advantage becomes yeah. a factor. So there's extra importance put on the regular season now, and I don't see a downside to that. Yeah, I think that definitely adds to some of the drama. You know, right now you have the drama of trying to finish in the top half, so you get a home quarterfinal. Well, now getting the number two spot is big because that would guarantee a home semifinal. Number one spot is big because that guarantees that the entire playoff will be at home um, and, and your fans would really enjoy that. So I think it does add to the drama of the uh, you know regular season. And um, so I think that it will be a fun part of it. What if the number one seed gets uh, upset in the first round? Then uh, it, it still goes to the higher seed. So like, let's say the number one seed gets upset, then... Uh, and numbers two and three both move on, mm-hmm. then two and three would host the next round. Okay. So it is the highest remaining seed each round hosts. So there will be a semifinal round, or sorry, a quarterfinal round one weekend, and the four higher seeds host that. Then the semifinals and the, the top two seeds that are advancing will host that, and then it'll go to the championship game, and whatever team is the remaining top seed gets to host that. So um, it, it, it could change, you know, depending on if there's upsets. Well, this has just been announced here in the last couple of days. What's the earlier reaction been like from schools or fans? You know, I, I think fans are, are generally excited about it. Um, you know, a lot of these fans will get an opportunity to see more home games now, uh, especially in seasons where their team is doing really well. Mm-hmm. And those are the years where you want to keep going out to games. And, 
uh, when the, the playoffs come and all of a sudden, um, poof, they're, they're gone and, and, and you don't get to see any more home games. I think sometimes that leaves fans thinking, man, I, I really wish I would get to see more games. This team has been great this year and now they get to. So I think that part is a positive. I think some people who remember the old WCHA Final Five and what a great tournament that was, there's a little bittersweetness because they have so many fun memories of going to the X every year and they realize that's not going to happen. But overall, I think fans realize uh, this, this could make for some really fun home playoff games. And you were saying now there's the NCHC makes four conferences that are doing it this way now? Yeah. So uh, the other two are, what, Hockey East and Atlantic or something? And the ECAC. And the so, ECAC. Um, ECAC still playing at Lake Placid, New York, and Hockey East in Boston. So those are the two remaining holdouts. Hockey East has probably got it best because, like I was saying there, geographically, yeah. it's very compact, and that's a very easy place to get to. They can sell uh, you know, a lot of tickets at, at TD Garden. And so I think that one will stay. I will be curious if at some point the ECAC follows uh, suit with the other teams. Well, and I guess I'm looking more ahead to the NCAA, the national tournament. And we still got yeah. the regionals uh, for the national tournament. And I know there's been lots of talk about should they move away from that and going back to, to on-campus uh, arenas. Uh, does this kind of start people even looking more towards that direction? Does this kind of influence what might happen uh, at the national tournament level? I do think it's going to have an impact. There are people who are going to be pushing, again, for the NCAA tournament to go to home sites and to have a regional where uh, the top eight hosts the first weekend and uh, add a second weekend where the uh, top four hosts and then go to what the Frozen Four is. The Frozen Four uh, has been a really great tournament at a neutral site, and I, I don't think that will be changing anytime soon. I think everyone kind of agrees that that tournament uh, it has been great. I think people realize that a lot of people realize the regionals could be improved mm-hmm. and that um, the atmospheres uh, of playoff games, if they're in a college home could be just incredible. And I think when you watch NHL playoffs, that's what draws us all to NHL playoff games. That's a big thing that makes it so compelling is the atmospheres in those buildings are just incredible. And I see a lot of that all year long in college hockey. And then they go to the biggest games of the year and they play them in neutral sites. And you can get situations where you have Minnesota playing Western Michigan to go to the Frozen Four, massive game in Worcester, Massachusetts. Right. Nowhere close to either of those schools. And you just think of what would happen if that game was in Lawson Ice Arena in Kalamazoo. I mean, it would be uh, unbelievable. Yeah. And, and I think that is where you are going to see a push to make a change. And it'll be really interesting to see if that does happen. And the fact that four of the six leagues now have determined that it is better to use home ice for their league playoffs, I think that gives some ammo to the people who have been trying to push the national tournament to follow suit. I know that the timing, the scheduling of the the, the regionals, the sites, is done well in advance. Would that change, though? Because you'd have to wait to see who the, the four number one seeds in each regional, I guess. Or do they change that format completely? Oh, they would have to. It would be. They would have to run it kind of like the baseball tournament. 
um, where, you know, they would set the the host seeds by whoever was the top eight in the pairwise for that first round. Okay. So some of them you may have an idea, like if a team's number one in the pairwise coming down the stretch, yeah, you know what, uh, they're probably going to be a host. But some of them you might not know until the week before that they're going to be hosting uh, that regional because there is going to be a little bit of a bubble and uh, that that would be a, a big change. Right now, I think they have scheduled regionals through 2026. So the first year that it could change would be 26-27. And so I, I think you're going to see a little bit of a push right now because there is time to make that change before the next bid cycle comes up. Holy cow, 2027. It sounds like it's just decades in the future that's like we'll be we'll be going there in our flying cars and stuff like that yeah. uh brad uh, I, I know you take part in the uh the voting for the uscho uh, uh national poll um for men's hockey and one of the things that stood out to me or has stood out to me this year is just how many different programs have at one point or another been ranked number one it seems to change almost every week i don't know if there's a team that's had it for more than maybe two weeks at at most uh, it's the the parody in college hockey. I love parody. Uh, it seems to be even more this year than in in recent history. Yeah, I think that's been my big takeaway from the first half of the season, and I, I kind of actually felt that coming into the year. I, I do a really deep dive when I do my preseason rankings, and when I looked at every team, like last year, I felt Quinnipiac and Minnesota were very complete teams. They were veteran teams. They had forwards. They had D. They had goaltenders. Like there were just no questions about those teams. And so I had them one and two preseason. Sure enough, those two teams ended up playing for the national title. This year, when I went through every team, I found question marks of every single team. Hmm. There wasn't one team where I was like, oh, they're just, they're complete. There's no way, there's no questions about this team. Every team had an area where I had questions about how they would do. And I think that's where we're at right now, that it's played out that way. There, there's um, some teams that have risen up, but there isn't a team that really is pulling away. I feel like every team has a lot of strength and there's a lot of good teams, but there isn't a team without a question mark or a potential deficiency and that's why you're seeing everyone kind of beat everyone to an extent. And I think we're going to see that through the rest of the year. I'm anticipating that will continue. And I also think the NCAA tournament is completely up for grabs yeah. because of that. I think you're like, look who's the number four seats right now. I mean, you have some teams that are, are traditional powers that are sitting there on the bubble and you're going to have some teams playing some really, really good four seats. So um, it's going to be a wild ride in the second half, and it, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But, um, you know, just pulling up the pairwise, like Minnesota's a four seed right now. Michigan's a four seed. St. Cloud State's a four seed. So, like, pretty good teams um, could be playing number one first round, and I just don't know how it's going to play out. Well, and who would have expected Maine right now to be a, yeah. potentially a number one seed in one of the regionals? Yeah. I mean, they're sitting third in the pairwise. Yeah. And I guess if we're looking at individual teams that are a pleasant surprise this year, has to start with the Black Bears, doesn't it? Definitely. You know, I I, I did like them coming in. I, I thought that they had a really sneaky good year last year, 
and they returned a ton of their players, uh, including their goaltender, Victor Ostman, who I believe will be end up being one of those NCAA free agents that uh, a bunch of teams are trying to sign at the end of the year. Right. They also brought in the Nadal brothers. Um, Bradley is the first-round draft pick. Josh doesn't get the publicity, but he is really, really good. Mm-hmm. As a college hockey player, he's just as impactful as Bradley. So, you know, you have a team that's already had a good year last year. Now you bring them back and add in a couple of big pieces like that. And, uh, you know, that being said, they're still, they've still been better than I even expected them to be. But um, they're off to a great start. Any other surprises uh, when it comes to teams that, that you want to talk about that, I don't know, maybe in a good way or in a bad way? Maybe there's a team that has struggled considerably that just didn't expect that to happen. The, the other team that has jumped off the page to me unexpectedly is New Hampshire. I, I, I think I had them, you know, around like ninth in the in Hockey East. Right. And, and they're 11th right now in the pairwise. So they've actually put together a really nice season and you know I, I did not see that one coming that that's probably been my biggest surprise of the year I, you know Maine's been a really pleasant surprise and they're higher than I thought but like I, I didn't even have New Hampshire on my radar like right. that one really jumps off to me and and they're probably going to be you know as of right now they would be back in the tournament and it kind of feels like old times with Maine and New Hampshire right now well, and then I guess you look at a team, I'm not used to seeing Minnesota Duluth, but right now they're 30th in the pairwise. Ohio State's 27th in the pairwise. I mean, they're really going to have to have strong second half to the season to get back into contention for the national tournament. Anybody else that's like down in the pairwise that you are surprised about? You know, I, I think there's several teams in the CCHA. The, the fact that... Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember right now as we talk if how many teams in that league are above 500. Uh, if I remember right, um, right now it is St. Thomas, and that's it. They have one team that's above 500 in that league, and it's St. Thomas, <laughs> the one of the new kids on the block. And so, you know, I, I thought Michigan Tech in northern Michigan uh, had potential to be pretty good this mm-hmm. year. And, you know, Michigan Tech had a really difficult October. I don't think they won in October, and they've started to come back a little bit. So they could be a team to watch a little bit in the second half. Northern Michigan, I, I still think they're, uh, they have more talent than where their uh, record is. Maybe they're a team that could make a little bit of a run in the second half. But, the, you know, the CCHA right now is looking like it's going to be a one-bid league. And that, so the tournament champion will go to the NCAA tournament. I have no idea who that tournament champion is going to be. Maybe Minnesota State comes away and wins it uh, anyway. You know, like they're a little bit down from where they were at. They have a chance to win it. Um, Does Michigan Tech come up? Does Northern Michigan come up? Lake Superior State? That that one is, I just really don't know. But maybe Bemidji State, they just got their goaltender back and he played really well. He's been hurt most of the first half. So, uh, Matthias Scholl. Uh, that could be a big deal for the Beavers. I have no idea what's going to transpire in the CCHA. Seems like freshmen are having a pretty strong season when it comes to uh, offensive uh, production. Uh, Zeev Booyam, a defenseman, one of the top scorers when it comes to, well, players overall in college hockey, but I think he and Gabe Perot are uh, leading the way uh, for freshmen with 25 points. Oh, Max Celebrini right there with 25 as well. But there's a lot of freshmen in the top, say, 30 of scoring in the country. A lot of a lot of uh, rookies 
There are. I feel like that's kind of been a little bit of a, a trend the last few years. Um, the, the one thing that's it, it's really tough for a freshman defenseman to uh, adjust to college hockey. I feel that's one of the hardest positions for, for guys to adjust. And Ziv Budum, uh, Buyum and uh, Artem Levshinov, from Michigan State, who will be a very high draft pick. Both both will be very high draft picks next year. Mm-hmm. Are two of like probably the three or five youngest players in the entire country, and they are both putting up huge numbers right now. So that is something you will rarely see. Um, Ziv Buyam right now, twenty five points in eighteen games. Uh, he has one point three nine points per game. Levshinov has eighteen points in eighteen games. He is also a plus six. <laughs> one of the best plus minuses in the country. So both those guys, I, I think, have been a, a bit of a, a surprise. Aiden Fink uh, at uh, Penn State is also having a great season. I know to those of uh, you up in Alberta, that yep. is no surprise after seeing what he did with, with Brooks. But with people who really only pay attention to the top of the draft, that might be a name that people did not expect to see as high as he is. Is there a story or a topic in the second half that you're most curious about? And I'm sure there is a, a long list, but we got to wrap it up. I don't want to take all of your time here. So uh, <laughs> is there one thing in particular? You know, I, I just think, is there going to be a team or set of teams that start to pull away from the pack or separate themselves? And you say, okay, this is probably the team to be in the NCAA tournament. They've got a head start. Right now, I there isn't one for me. I, I just look at all these teams who would be in the tournament right now as teams that could win it all. And so I, I'm waiting to see if someone like kind of eventually starts answering some of those questions that they, that all these teams seem to have and and pull away because right now it just seems like there's a bunch of quite good teams in college hockey. That makes it exciting. It it does for, for fans. This is going to be a great second half. It's going to be a lot of fun going to the rink, not knowing who's going to win each night. Um, For some of those fans who expect their teams to win every single night, they're not going to have as fun because it's not going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I think you're going to see a lot of really great games in the second half. Well, conference playoffs will be uh, really fun and exciting then and dramatic and uh, really determine who is going to get into the national tournament. And then, of course, when that gets underway, if the parity keeps up like this, man, it's going to be awesome hockey. Uh, once uh, late March and April roll around, that's for sure. Uh, Brad, this has been fantastic. Always great to uh, catch up with you. Uh, happy holidays, and uh, we'll talk again in uh, in the new year. Thank you, sir. You have a great holiday as well. That, of course, was Brad Elliott Schlossman from the Grand Forks Herald, as well as the Rink Live. You can uh, find his stuff, which is award-winning coverage of college hockey, at both the Rink Live and at the Grand Forks Herald. Always uh, does a bang-up job when he's on the show, and that's why he's in such demand uh, for any show. Or I mean, he's got his own podcast as well. Always appreciate when he makes time for uh, my little show here. That is going to do it for this week's episode of the program. Thanks to all three of the guests that you heard from. A quick reminder that you can hear all of the interviews on a full episode of the Pipeline Show. You can hear them individually, often two, three, four days before a full episode is put together. That's because when I do an interview... Shortly thereafter, I edit it, and then I upload it to patreon.com slash thepipelineshow, and patrons 
who pay a couple of bucks a month, a little bit less than that on an annual basis. Those are U.S. dollars. They get access to all of the interviews way before everyone in the general public. If that's something that you would like, why don't you go to patreon.com slash the pipeline show, see if it's the right thing for you. You can always give it a seven-day free trial. Take that for a spin. See if you like having instant access to over 800 archived interviews. I think you will. As I mentioned earlier, next week's episode is going to be a best of. I just put up a poll on Twitter. Do you want a best of former Oil Kings who are now in the NHL? Or do you want a best of Edmonton Oilers current roster from when they were juniors? A couple of different options there so far. The early feedback is that people want to hear, because it's a junior and college hockey show, they want to hear former Oil Kings from when they were on the show as Oil Kings. They are now in the NHL. And I uh, listed who those players would be, who those interviews would be in either scenario. If you're an Oiler fan, you want to hear guys like Darnell Nurse when he was with the Sioux Greyhounds, Evander Kane when he was with the Vancouver Giants, Connor McDavid while he was in Erie, or Leon Dreisaitl when he was with Prince Albert, or Ryan Nugent Hopkins when he was with the Red Deer Rebels, then that would be the one that you would vote for, that show. If you want to hear former Oil Kings like Trey Fix-Wolanski from Season 13, Curtis Lazar from Season 12, Mark Pesic from Season 15, that was actually well after his Oil King career, but he was reflecting on his time uh, with the Oil Kings. Uh, Tristan Jari from Season 8, and Dylan Gunther, the most recent one, from Season 16. If you're an Oil King supporter, maybe that's the episode you want. You can vote at TPS underscore Gee on the old Twitter machine. And with that, I bid you a great holiday season, and we will see you in 2024. Until then, I hope you can get out and watch some junior college hockey or the World Junior Championship so that we can talk about it in the new year. Until then, I'm Gee Flaming. This has been the Pipeline Show brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. See ya! See ya!